Audio sermons from Peachtree Christian Church. Our scripture lesson this morning comes from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about those who have died, so that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have died. For this we declare to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will by no means precede those who have died. For the Lord himself, with a cry of command, with the archangel's call and with the sound of God's trumpet will descend from heaven and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up in the clouds together with them to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Good morning. My name is Dan, and I'm honored to be with you. I appreciate the music and Frank's good words. And um, I work with Christian City, which is just below the airport. And uh, that song sort of made me think of the many kids that we serve there. So I'm going to go ahead and start off with this and, and see if, uh, you know, if it aggravates you or cheers you up. But uh, I'm a guest preacher, so it won't matter. No, it doesn't get rough until a few minutes from now. Um, two weeks ago, October 28th, and I know it was October 28th because I went home and said to my wife, it's October 28th. And when I got in the car, I heard this on the radio. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Now, some of y'all, that ticks you off. I'm fine. I like the music. I, I like the season. I like Thanksgiving and Christmas. I kind of wish it would wait till after Halloween. And I do like Thanksgiving, so I don't want it to get lost. But um, I was singing along. I, I liked it. And I, I kind of... Get in the mood with it. But I know for some, the holidays are tough. And I understand that. I, I know the ache of the empty chair at the dinner table. And the holidays, for some reason, exacerbate the, the loss and the sadness. And there's something healthy about us grieving. The Bible teaches on lament. But there is, perhaps on a spectrum, an area, a, a time on that spectrum where it becomes unhealthy to stay in that sadness. And I would like to suggest to you today that the problem is bad theology. Now, you might not see that connection immediately, but let's walk through that. 
everybody has a theology. Now, a lot of people I talk with, they, they do not entertain the idea that they would have a theology. I don't really go with God and all that stuff, and I don't, I don't know what that word means, and I don't, I don't care. Um, but to, to illustrate that, when we were moving into uh, our house a few years ago, we uh, had the big truck. We're unloading. Um, it's obvious we're moving in. And we spot the couple across the street, and they seemed lovely and, and older. And we said, oh, we've got little kids. That'll be great. We'll, we'll make a connection with them. And so on about the third day of us moving in, I saw the fellow over in his yard, bent over. He was digging around something. And so I went over and said, hello, never looked up. Uh, hello, I'm, I'm Dan. I'm your new neighbor. Oh, right. You're the preacher. Well, I don't believe in God because God killed my sister with cancer. Okay, well, that kind of explains why there was no cake when we came over and uh, moved in. See, now he might not think he has a theology, but he does. And the way he sees God, uh, theology is basically who is God and how does he work? And so even when we don't articulate our theology, we have a view of how God works and who he is. And bad theology can cause a lot of damage. And good theology can help us live lives that thrive and joy. So here's what's happening in that scripture. In the church in Thessalonica, the church people there were uh, distraught because they did not quite understand what happens to their loved ones who have died. And of course, the church is still forming and scripture is still being written and doctrine is still being formulated. And so uh, the apostle Paul needed to help them. And so I, I do want to read it again uh, to, for us to be able to hear it maybe from that perspective. He says, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed. And the word there is ignorant. Now, you may use that word when somebody pulls out in front of you. Okay, I understand. But we're talking about ignorance as the absence of knowledge. And he says, I don't want you to be uninformed. I don't want you to be ignorant about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. So in other words, believers see things differently because of our theology, because of how we understand God and how he works. We believe, the apostle says, that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. So he's giving us a little bit of a process picture, uh, 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 somewhat of a timetable. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. And then he wraps up by saying, encourage one another with these words. So what is the teaching? Well, 
the people were sad because of a lack of knowledge. Ignorance is crippling. Encourage one another with these words. Words are powerful. Words may not change the exact situation, but words are able, truth, enlightenment is able to change the person in the situation. So truths and principles and knowledge help us interpret our circumstances. So, so let me ask, why do we gather here? Why do we gather here? Well, we come to see one another. It's wonderful. I see out in the lobby people hugging and great smiles. We were greeted so wonderfully when we came in from the parking lot. We come for joy. We, we come for encouragement. We come to listen and learn and to uh, be strengthened to, by being together. And I think, and this certainly qualifies this season uh, in the world's history, we come during crazy times when the, when the planet seems bent on destroying itself. We come to find peace and maybe just some calm moments uh, to relate to God and to hear from Him. But the core reason that we come is we gather here to encounter truth, to speak words to each other, and to hear the word of the Lord. So when we look at this teaching about the second coming and about our relatives and our friends who have died and how all that will work, what is the broader point of this teaching? Well, that this dimension is not all there is, that there is more than the grave. In our human nature, we sense the finality there at the cemetery. But a good theology helps us know that there are, there's more, that this is not the only dimension, that there is another realm where God is in control and, and that we will one day be able to be with him there. There is a destiny, a conclusion to this crazy world. So we come together to speak these truths to each other because truth is liberating and truth is clarifying and it's solid and real. We come here to be grounded in good theology. Good theology gives us hope. There's so much evil and chaos in the world and sometimes just the end result of good theology is to be able to say, hang in there, don't despair. Now, bad theology confuses. And he says, I don't want you to be uninformed. I don't want you to be ignorant. Ignorance causes us to be overwhelmed because we don't see the larger picture. We live with no hope. And so, Sometimes those folks who are stuck will say, and I've, I've pastored for a lot of years, not as long as Jim, because he's a lot older than me, but, uh, but no, I'm kidding. We're the same age. We just, we just live different lives. <laughs> no, Jim and I were talking earlier. We've been to many funerals many grieving people. And there are some who simply get stuck and say things like, and I'm talking about a believer, I'll never have joy again. 
Christmas will never be the same. Now, now let me hasten to say, I, no, I know Christmas won't be the same, but it doesn't mean that it can't be good or that it cannot even be better. For the believer, we understand that the empty chair is not a finality. That one day, this is the scripture, one day Jesus will return. The dead in Christ will rise. We will join them and we will all be redeemed and glorified and restored in a new heaven and a new earth. And so we do not grieve as those who have no hope. We do not grieve like unbelievers. And y'all, I say it respectfully. I, I, I do. I miss my mother at Christmas. But I do not think the Heavenly Father nor my mother wants me to live in despair in some twisted way of honoring them. We walk as children of light, knowledge, truth, breeding hope. So bad theology works like this. And I've, I've done the funeral for the babies. It's the worst thing a pastor has to do. And I am telling you, the lady, and I'm quoting, sits down on the front pew, pats that mom on the leg, and says, oh gosh, God just needed that little baby in heaven to be an angel. And y'all, I want to choke the lady. So maybe I take, take my robe off and, and admit, admit to you, I want to punch her because that is terrible. I don't, I don't. I mean, I may say something smart alecky, but Brooks, I wish sarcasm was a gift of the spirit. You and I would be like saints. Be like St. Brooks, St. Dan. Tried to get my wife to call me Lord Garrett, and she wouldn't do it. Y'all, the, the drunk leaves the, the bar, crosses the yellow line, and kills the family in the minivan. And someone will say, well, you know, we don't understand, but it's all part of God's plan. No, it's not. Nowhere in Scripture do we see that it is God's plan for drunk people to kill families in minivans. That's a bad theology. And that bad theology confuses. And there's something in us. I don't know. I don't think it's just American. I think it's human nature. But there's something in us that greatly desires to make sense out of senseless things. That we say things like, well, everything happens for a reason. And that's simply not biblical. Now, I know right now you woke up and you're squirming a little bit. I understand that. And if you'll just stay with me. As I try to spend a few minutes explaining that God is not playing a cosmic game of chess with our lives. He is not, oh, oh, that guy's ticking me off. I'll give him diabetes. Oh, yeah, okay, she gets a kidney stone, which I do want to ask God about kidney stones when I get to heaven because it's worse than having a baby. I'm just going to tell you. Yeah, I lost them. I'm not sure I had them, but I lost them. 
All I'm going to tell you is it's awful. Some of what some of what happens to us are consequences of our... Now, you got to stay with me, y'all. Stay with me. Forget that kidney stone thing. Although, I mean, I think it's true. Some of what happens to us are consequences of our own actions. And we sometimes don't like to acknowledge that. Some things are the results of actions of others. So we have kids who come to us at Christian City who've been removed from their homes. And part of our message to them is, you are not your trauma. You are not your mother. You are not your father. You are not things that have happened to you. You are a precious child of God, creating his image with a past that can be erased and a future that can be determined. Sometimes we're just at the wrong place at the wrong time. Okay, so the natural question is, well, can't God stop all of this? Yes, he can, but it, and we're doing theology, y'all. He doesn't want to violate the most precious gift he's given us, which is free will. The ability to draw close to him or reject him. It makes the relationship rich and meaningful and authentic when we operate in free will. And he, most of the time, chooses not to intervene. Sometimes he does cause things to change. But what happens on this is from our human perspective, we're saying, well, if I were God, I know I would have changed that. I would have fixed that. Well, thank goodness we're not God. This is why we come and worship a God who is higher and greater, all-knowing, all-powerful, and we place our faith in him, not in our own abilities to reason. We can't figure everything out. Jesus said, there will be troubles. Now, I, I'm confident that many, maybe not all, but many here have received that call in the middle of the night. Or maybe it was morning or afternoon, but you know what I'm talking about. It's the dreaded call. And here's... Here's where our teaching takes us. For the disciple of Jesus, that call should not destroy us. Now, I want to be careful and, and be respectful. I've walked this with many people, the call. And sometimes it's the doctor's diagnosis. Sometimes it's... From the police, sometimes it's from far away, sometimes it's military, but the dreaded call. Yes, there's grief. Yes, there is pain. Yes, there is loss. Yes, there is, I, some of the best advice I know that we ministers give is don't try to do day by day. Sometimes it's hour by hour. Sometimes it's minute by minute. I appreciate that. I understand that. And I've actually walked that road. But for the believer who has the knowledge of Christ, who understands the power of God, I cannot live there. I cannot live in my despair. I cannot live in my hopelessness. 
The promise of Christ gives me the ability to go from minute by minute to hour to hour to day by day with the great anticipation that there is more and he will come back for me. The Bible tells us about the Garden of Eden and perfection. So stay with me. We're, we're not on the final lap. I don't want to give you false hope. No, but two more laps, two more laps. <laughs> on the one hand, the statement, everything happens for a reason, can be debunked by more knowledge. But on the other hand, some things do happen for a reason. And again, it's good theology. We understand that the first humans walked with God in the cool of the day. It was called paradise, Garden of Eden, perfection. But because of disobedience and rebellion, there came a separation between us and the Creator. And theologically, that's called the fall. And from the fall, we understand that there are tsunamis and bacteria and diseases and accidents because we are broken people living in a broken world. And when we have that knowledge, yes, we, we will be rattled by the crisis, but we will not be destroyed. We know that bad things happen to good people to Christians. And so when something happens, there is great pain and hurt, but because we are not walking in ignorance, we understand this is temporary, this is not all there is, and there will come a time of restoration. Now I'm fascinated by the first responders. They practice, they practice, and when they get to the fire, they don't have to, okay, which hose goes over here? A goes to B. Of course, they've practiced and practiced, and so now they're going from instinct because there's no time to think. Listen, you cannot work out your theology in the ICU waiting room. Those promises of God must be embedded in calm times as now when we come into worship and when we go through studies in our own personal devotions those truths are being embedded in our mind, in our heart, in our behavior. And then when the time comes, God will bring those to our mind. They will be alive in our spirit, memorizing scripture and internalizing the promises. And here, here's, here's what the scripture says. We are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. Therefore, we do not lose heart for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. And here's what the scripture says. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Now, most of us, I'm just going to guess, have sat through years of biblical teaching. What have we learned? We've learned that God is creator. God is the giver of every good gift. He seeks our best. He has redeemed us from that separation through the cross. He has given us new life through resurrection. We've learned that it's our choice to follow him. And we've learned that there will be troubles. 
let me kind of wrap up with this crazy thing when I watch. So the mayor comes out. Well, first the weather, the weather person, you got the map and there's some arrows and it's in its east coast. And they're like Hurricane Lucy. Hope Lucy's not here. Hurricane Lucy's coming. Right. And y'all probably need to get, you know, you know, need to get ready. Then the next day, the mayor comes up, you know, on the microphone, has some of those folks standing with him, says, y'all, you probably need to board up the windows. This thing looks like it's pretty hairy. Then the other person comes back on lots of red arrows and lots of swirly things. And they're going like, yeah, no, this is this is really coming. This is, you know, when moots one to a two to a nine, you know, whatever. Then day four, the governor comes out. Uh, yeah, y'all need to leave the island. Everybody, everybody needs to leave. I'm the governor. Everybody needs to leave. The storm hits. Devastation. Two days later, the reporter goes out. He's interviewing this guy disheveled. You know, the hairs everywhere. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and man, this, sir, what, what, what about this? He goes, man, if I'd known it was going to be bad, I, I would have prepared. You know, when my kids were growing up, we'd see that and I'd go, y'all, they vote. They vote, they drive, okay? I'm just telling you, that guy drives and he votes. Explains a lot of things. We had a, we had a little girl. Uh, I had this youth group come down and they were, they were helping us uh, at our children's village, which were group homes and, and we have kids from all different situations. But anyway, we're all there. We were going to go do some painting and fixing up around the campus. And one of our girls, one, one of the girls that lives with us, 12 years old, said to somebody, it's my birthday. And so these, these uh, volunteer moms, you know, they're super. They, all of a sudden there's cupcakes. I don't know where, you know, I think they're just magic. I think they're like Harry Potter or something. <laughs> you know, all of a sudden we had cupcakes and candles unplanned and we had about 25 30 people and we sang happy birthday to this young lady and she told somebody afterwards i've never had a birthday party the the power of speaking into their life that you matter and you are loved and you are safe this comes from a good theology, understanding that our past does not define us, whether you're 12 years old or 72 years old. And that the things that are seen are not everything. There's more. There's power. There's love. There's joy. There's something bigger. And we live in the promise of the unseen. So, yeah, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. You know what? I'm going to sing the songs. And of course, if I realize it bothers you, I'll sing it louder, but sorry, it's a curse. You know what? I'm going to keep, I'm going to sing those songs because the Christmas songs remind me of Emmanuel, God with us, that I am not in this alone and that there is more than I can see. 
and it even gives me promise for the empty chair to table this Thanksgiving. This is not all there is. God bless you.